Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In season three, we explore the tension between faith and experience and tease this out as a distinction between faith and relationship. This dovetails well with our value for intimacy with God and encourages us to explore what we can expect a relationship with God to mean for individuals and communities intentionally practicing the presence of God. Our guest for this episode is Costa Mitchell, the retired head of the Association of Vineyard Churches in South Africa. In this episode, we're privileged to explore Costa's early experience of God, his journey into ministry, and deep dive some questions related to the practical experience of God and how it ties into the business of doing church and calls us to reconsider what it is that we're doing when we go about doing church. Costa, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real privilege to have you on and to be able to have uh, this and you know the next conversation or two with you as well. We like to do this as a very conversational thing rather than you know a presentation or a um or an interrogation yes <laughs> um yeah so you know i i guess in terms of just diving straight in you, you, a lot of people get familiar with people as public figures uh, or hmm. get familiar with people through their public work or their public reputation but behind that there's 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 an individual with a story and and, hmm. and a backstory that goes back you know a long way so if it's possible just to to take a step back and get a bit of a, a bird's eye view, going back to you emerging in the world, <laughs> you yes. know, gain a bit of an overview of, of, of your of your life. But then if we can from there just dive into your earliest experience of God that you can recall and that sense of calling to ministry that that, that you had, where did that start? How did that happen? Um, yeah, well, I guess... Probably um, I, that experience happened in two phases. Um, first, when I was a child, um, uh, I was raised in a, I guess, a typical South African family uh, with, um, with uh, identity prescribed as the, on the basis that I was, uh, was somehow christened or baptized in a church. Um, in my case, Greek Orthodox. And, and so I had that Christian identity. But I, I remember my first experience of God being something that happened through just my dad. Um, our, our dog had, had been stolen. And I was completely distraught about that. And then had this experience when my dad said, just pray and ask, ask God to bring him home. And he will. And it was one of those where I... I somehow, from my father's reassurance, some kind of faith was stirred in me. I prayed, and the next day the dog came home. Uh, and, and it was like, from then on, I guess more than, more than God, I, I, I sort of thought my father was this magic man, you know, that he could, whatever, whatever he said kind of happened. So that was, that was the, the, the first thing. And then a little later in... Um, during what was uh, then confirmation classes in a, in a Methodist church, I encountered God through the, the guy who was teaching the class, who really just, uh, there was, I mean, looking back on it now, I realized he must have really known the Lord because the, just something about what he did and said and how he did it impacted me. But then I went off from there to um, university, um, started studying veterinary science. And in the course of my first year of that, um, that course of study, became an atheist. Largely, I think atheism was a combination of 
convenience. You know, I didn't want any, I didn't want any moral responsibility. Um, and so God would have, would have imposed that. And so I kind of uh, abandoned God for that reason. But, but secondly, because of the, uh, the intellectual bombardment of, of uh, science that I was getting in the, in the course. And so that, that continued through that year. And then I, that was when I really encountered God in a really powerful and, and quite dramatic way. Uh, through, uh, again, the, the, the witness, the testimony of a young guy who came and stayed at the YMCA where we were staying at the time. Just by his, not only his testimony, but his life, there was something um, that kind of um, intrigued me, let's just put it that way. And then through, again, through his testimony and through a presentation that he did, um, and actually through a kind of drunken stupor, because we had just come back from a pub crawl, I, 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 heard, I heard the gospel in a very clear, clear way. We, we kind of heckled and from the back row in the common room that night, and, but something penetrated and to the point where I, uh, when I went back to my room, I couldn't go to sleep because of the, of the, 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 the impact of the gospel message and the, and the words that just kept going through my mind were the fact these words, Christ died for me. And um, I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't uh, get it out of my mind. I couldn't sleep. Eventually, at something like two o'clock in the morning, I went back to the common room, picked up one of the pamphlets that had been left there and brought it back to my room. And I prayed the prayer that when C.S. Lewis talks about his conversion, I've, I read that he prayed the same prayer, or the, I guess other, many others have prayed. And, and in the chapter where he describes praying that prayer, he calls it, that, that chapter is called Check. And the next chapter, of course, is Checkmate. In my room that night, I just prayed, uh, God, I don't believe in you, but if you're there, I'm... I'm here, uh, convince me, you know, kind of, kind of prayer. And, um, and he did. And I encountered God in a, in a, in a, in a beautiful way, in a way that kind of uh, changed me without me asking to be changed, that opened my eyes to the world again. And uh, I remember the big impact was waking up in the morning and I had been, I guess, again, raised as a typical uh, white South African in uh, with with uh, apartheid running through my veins, I guess, and a kind of um, not not uh, not active antagonism, but a but a sort of um, superiority about uh, being white and thinking about black people as inferior. And I and I woke up, and and in general, by the way, I was also anti human I guess I was I was um, I was a person yeah I used to I used to say that you know the more I like uh, the more uh, more I see of people the better I like my dog mm -hmm. and so and so it was like um, but I woke up that morning I looked out of the window I heard the birds singing I saw the sky the sky was a seemingly a brighter blue than it had ever been and 
but I saw people walking down. Uh, uh, I was on the first floor and people walking past, black people walking past. And I just had fallen in love with them without mm. asking to do so. My, my, my heart toward them, I just loved the people. And it was very disconcerting. But it, for me, was absolute internal evidence of the fact God is real. Something has happened in me that I didn't ask for, I couldn't have made happen in a million years. And so that was, that was, the, that was my conversion. And that, uh, I, I, you know, I often say to people, I don't need anything more than that experience to know that God is real. Um, so for me, it's almost like faith is hardly faith anymore. It's more, it's, it's being absolutely convinced about God's reality. Um, and that all started that morning uh, through those early hours of that morning and the, and the waking up to it. What, what, was the, uh, what were the kind of emotions that you can put against that sort of waking that morning? You, know, you talk about looking out the window and the, the love you felt for people, etc. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking yes. because you referenced Lewis and it reminds me of that quote where he talks about himself as uh, perhaps the most yes. dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. <laughs> that doesn't sound like what I'm saying, yes. but I'm just wondering the emotions as you arise out of that sort of almost wrestling that I hear you talking about through the night, this thing that won't let go of you. Um, is there anything that you can put your finger on there to share with us as you awaken and sort of almost step into this new reality as I hear you talking about it? Yeah, I, th I think that the, the immediate emotion when I prayed that prayer, I, I, fell as, I, I, I had a, a sense of peace. Um, I think two things struck me. The first was that I suddenly wasn't drunk anymore. Uh, and the second, the second was that I, I was able to go to sleep with a deep sense of peace that I couldn't, under, I couldn't explain. It was, more, it was more than just like peace of mind or, or um, what do you call it? Uh, j just a sense of, I'm, okay, I'm pleasantly sleepy now. I can go to sleep. It was really just like a deep, a deep awareness of, again, what I think Paul means when he says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was, the, that was what I felt immediately um, was a sense of peace. And the second thing that morning was this deep sense of, uh, I, I guess, gratitude. Um, uh, I, I was grateful for life. I was grateful for the world that, that out there. Uh, and as I said, I just had fallen in love with these people. So uh, uh, I would say it was, it was those three emotions, really. It was, uh, it, it was peace, gratitude, and, and, and love. And, and then out of, out of that was um, a desire to be, to please God, or to, or to live for his, to live for him uh, because of, of what he had done for me. You know, it was a, it was a sense of, but again, not, not religion. There was no religion involved. It was, there was no duty. Just a, just a sense of I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't do enough for him because of, of the gratitude I felt. Yeah, I, I mean, what, what strikes me with you you're saying that is that um, 
there's a deeper relational change within yourself and out of that there's a seeing the world differently there's the seeing the relationship differently so that even that 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 resistance to moral to the moral imperative <laughs> that yeah. you mentioned earlier it, it doesn't even come up here yeah I, absolutely i think that was the that was the great surprise you know um i i think many times in that in the time that I'd, I'd spent as an atheist, there would still be those moments when I would go, you know, um, and, and I guess there's that combination of uh, thinking about my father, my mother, as well as God <laughs> going, if they saw me doing what I'm doing right now, they would be, um, uh, you know, I would be ashamed, uh, that, that sort of thing. And there was also, I guess, every... Every um, pub crawling student's um, experience of um, drinker's remorse that was brought on by hangovers uh, many times over, just of going, yeah. I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And, and, and vowing to change and, and also just being completely powerless to change. Um, so I, I'd given up on, on moral improvement of myself, even, even with that good incentive those good incentives of first of all a background of um i guess nominal christianity but also on the other hand a background of parents who i loved dearly who i couldn't have asked for better um and also who i would have been i would have i would have been really down on myself if if they could see the way i was behaving because i didn't you know, it would, have, it would have shamed me deeply and my sense of having hurt them would have been overwhelming. So, so but all of that didn't, didn't, still didn't last long enough to really change me in any way. And then there was this, this encounter with God that, that all of those changes happened without any effort on my part. You know, he, he cleaned out my mouth. He, I was I was kind of I had been reprimanded in fact in the in the YMCA for my foul mouth and um, I found that hard to imagine from from my window <laughs> on you <laughs> I, I can certainly picture like a John Fisher with the tattoos being there but <laughs> but I struggle with you <laughs> yeah yeah I know it's true I mean the the the, the um the very dear um couple who were the uh, general, what did they call it, general secretary of that YMCA, um, kind of invited me into, the, into their office just to say, you know, this is a Christian organization and we, we, we really just want to ask you to, you know, be more temperate in your language, <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> um, uh, and so, so and, and all of that kind of just disappeared. I didn't feel like ever again going out on a on a on a, 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 a pub crawl and and getting drunk it was just like that all, that all ended without anyone telling me that it should you know it was it was just um and so for me that that is a, one of the most powerful points of persuasion of the reality of christ is that is the fact that change happened from the inside uh, and it changed on the basis of uh, changing my motivations, changing my desires, rather than, uh, you know, um, having to conform to certain behavioral uh, 
imperatives. It was just, it was, it was spontaneous and, and much, much more uh, powerful and much more, um, much easier than, than, than I could have ever done in a million years of, of spir spiritual or m moral gymnastics. I, I think that's even what I love about the, the earlier story of, of, of your dog being returned dog, re dog dog returning is that it's it's the kind of it's the kind of event or happening that the outsider can go oh i can explain that away i don't need to see god in that but as the insider there's a sense of of a call and a response and, and a sense of god meeting a need or meeting you in that that is actually for you it's it's not to prove to the world it's not a grand statement it's it's a relational statement yeah 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 that's it when you when you talked about that particular experience earlier on, you talked about also this sense of, in some way, I, I get a sense of sort of conflation. Your dad, the magic man, <laughs> who'd come up with this idea of just you know pray and, and mm. God will maybe send the yes. dog back. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I, I don't want to front load it too much, rather than just let you speak for yourself. But that that fascinates me as an experience, and and as you as you draw that into the, the talking to God, the understanding of Dad uh, sort of picture as well. You know, I I do really count it a privilege because I know that that not everyone has the that kind of experience of a dad. But for me, from from then on, it was that that sense of my dad can fix anything. What, whatever he says will come about. He, he was he he had been obviously been my hero. He'd, my dad was my sports coach all the way through school for me, whether I was playing soccer in primary school or cricket in high school. He was always my coach. He, he not only was with me alongside me and everything that we you know in in uh, my myself and my brothers uh, in our sporting. Uh, lives, but he was um, formative and inspirational, and so there was always that relationship, that connection. He was heroic in my eyes. He was, he was, um, he had the answers whenever I was. If I was going through a rough patch with my cricket, he would have the, you know, he would be able to fix it or tell me how to fix it. And so for me, it became this thing that when I discovered that God is Father. It was an easy, very easy kind of application that 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 is how I've experienced God from the beginning. It was always this thing of a, a, a person who loved me unconditionally, who was for me, whose whose plan for my life was better than the one that I could invent for it for myself and who would fix my broken stuff. Who would who would always be available, even if I had done the worst thing in the world, even if I had failed in the most uh, horrifying way, he would still be there for me. And the first response would be, "Come here, let me love you better," and then uh, giving whatever advice or or information or teaching or whatever that I needed to to fix it. You know, so so there was that very easy. Um, uh, and, and again, believe me, I've in uh, in these years of ministry, I've I've seen many tragic, tra tragically opposite stories um, for so many people for whom to to start the prayer, "Our Father who art in heaven," is like a 
is like an emotional blow to the to the gut. It's a it's a terrible it's a terrible model, and and so for for so many people it is it is the opposite. That's why I said I count myself very very privileged to have that sense of um, a father who is always there for you, who always loves you, who is who who cares more about the stuff that you're worried about than you do. For you, at, at any point in that journey, was, was there a moment in which that distinction started to appear in some ways, some of the separation in personhood between kind of earthly father and heavenly father understanding as, as an emergent distinct personhood, if, if that makes sense? Because I can hear the, the flowing together, but I'm interested in the in, in, the, in the two people that show up in, in the conflation, if that makes sense. Was, was there a sense of that growing? Yes, there was. And, and it was, a, for me, the, the, very, um, the, very, um, the, the very point of conflation also became the point of, of distinction, which was this, that um, I had the privilege of leading my father to Christ. So, so that, was, that was like, I would say six months after my conversion, or maybe a little longer than that, but so, something of that kind. Um, my dad, uh, my, my parents had moved up to Johannesburg. And so um, when that was the next time I'd seen them after uh, going away from, from home to university. And, and so I shared my testimony with them uh, there was initially some resistance because of uh, my mother being involved in uh, Christian science. And so, and so for her, it was, she couldn't accept it. She couldn't uh, believe this, this stuff um, because of the deity of Christ and, you know, the various other things on which Christian science doesn't, um, is not a Christian thing of any kind, really. Um, and then... Um, but then my dad, on the other hand, I, I invited him to go with me to a, to a church service. And we went, he came with me, and he responded to, very positively to the gospel. And so I said, would you, would you like to, would you like to uh, confirm that, you know, make, uh, invite Jesus into your, into your life? And he said, yes. So we prayed together in the car before we drove home and... Um, and he, and he, and so for, for him, it became, or essentially we became fellow believers. And, and so that, that distinction that you were talking about, um, happened that there was my dad, who was like, um, a disciple, just a few, a few meters behind me in the journey. And so, you know, we would have many wonderful conversations and, uh, and he then became um, a kind of a, a lay leader in the church. And, and always, again, for everybody else in the church, he became Mr. Fix-It and Mr. Mr. The, 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 the smiling face that they saw at the door every Sunday and all of that kind of thing. And, of course, yeah, so, so there was that, that, uh, that separation um, from the point of view of uh, knowing that uh, that my dad is is also just a fellow pilgrim on the same journey um with 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 his with his weaknesses and his needs and etc and um and also with a 
a wonderful faith. Sure, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm always, I, I guess, deeply touched when people are willing to, to share around that, that sort of formational experience is specifically connected with a parent or parents, but also just continually struck by, by the depth of those experiences for people. As you say, you know, both positively and negatively often. There's, there's sometimes some healing around understanding yes. God as parent as differentiated from earthly parents, especially when there's, when there's sort of trauma attached to that. Yes. And, and even then, as, as you described now, there's, there's often a differentiation process that people go through, I've been through and still going through in many ways in, in differentiating the earthly parent from, from sort of heavenly parent, for lack of better terminology, as, as we grow and, and the personhood of God becomes more and more real um, and, and not mediated by the parental figure always or consistently, etc., it's, uh, it's, it's a phenomenal thing as I, as I engage within myself and with others as, as that comes, comes to the fore. So thank you. I appreciate, appreciate you going with me on that. Yeah, so um, I think your initial question was about um, ultimately the, the, the sense of calling, Tim. Were you, did you want me to finish that, that part of the story? Yes, it's twofold. I mean, yeah, you know, the, the the first part really is these is these initial experiences, these these one on ones, and and then, but but you've gone on to do professional ministry, and so there's a story related to that, and I'm I'm thinking of this like in two different ways. Uh, I know you ended up in a movement, and then you left a movement to do another movement. <laughs> if I, I don't know how intertwined that that journey into ministry, the deconstruction, the setting up another movement is. But so it's kind of like an open open canvas. Um, If you could tell that story, God's role in it, because, because I'm deeply aware that for a lot of people, there's, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a current within Christianity that pushes people into ministry and they almost land there. And then there's the sense that, that some other people have of going, I have a distinct calling and that's not yes. always a safe thing to put out there, but I feel like with you, I can, I can throw that out and go, let, let's explore that a bit through the window of your story. If that's, if that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. Yeah. The, the, the push, pull, push, pull um, into, into things like ministry. Yeah. So again, for me, um, I, the, I, I continued with my veterinary studies um, for another year or a year and a half after that um, conversion experience um and and through those through that year and a half there were moments when i felt um uh, kind of tugging and and um promptings and it would be from reading scripture in one case it was you know a guy who came to i was sharing a room with another with this guy who had actually led me to christ um, ultimately, and I was busy studying for a chemistry exam or something, and and th- this fellow walked into the into the room. He was a visitor; I'd never seen him before. And he walked over, and he just had these. He started with these words. He said, "Why are you wasting your time on chemistry? You're supposed to be studying the studying the Word of God because you're for ministry." Uh, words to that effect, and I. I kind of poo-pooed that and said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And, and the, on those other occasions, there would be a real sense, and this was conversations with God, that 
that I would literally be sensing he and I were having a little bit of a of an argument where I was going, he was going, um, I want you in ministry. I I was involved in in you know with a youth group, and I was uh, I guess quite early on was kind of um, one of the leaders in that youth group, and and so I was sharing my testimony all over the place. I I'd got it. I'd connected with a guy who started the Teen Challenge Ministry in South Africa, and so he was taking me around to youth groups and schools and various things, and I would share my testimony, and he would preach and. So I was doing ministry, and when I heard these prompts, I would say back to God, I'm doing ministry. This is enough. I'll become a vet, and I'll still be able to do ministry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you you weren't wrong in saying that (laughs) on one level. (laughs) No, no, exactly. That's not wrong. You know, I mean, uh, even more these days, I, I, I tell people there's no difference between people who are in the pulpit and people who are you know, erecting bridges or sweeping streets or, um, you know, fixing people's teeth. We're all called. If, you, if you're in Christ, you've got a calling. and You're called to the thing that you're doing. But uh, so I, I was completely correct. And I was trying to convince God about the correctness of my <laughs> theology about that. I'm glad that worked <laughs> out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, so um, I, 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 I kind of I say to people, I had more arguments than Moses did, you know, about wh- why not me, someone else, but not me. I'm not doing that thing. And um, there, again, there came one of those nights of not being able to go to sleep, of, of um, wrestling, of having some, some doors closing in my face about honest abort and all of those kinds of things. Uh, for me, it, it came in the form, I, I, I say to people, if, if I'm sure if someone else was in my room that night, they would have also heard it. That it was almost like it sounded to me like an audible voice. Where God, and God said the most um, unprofound thing imaginable. Um, he just said these words. He said, go to sleep and I'll tell you in the morning. Brilliant. Um, so... <laughs> so I so I did. I went to sleep, and I was able to go to sleep. I hadn't been able to sleep, and and suddenly that that word came. The next morning, I was reading a uh, reading in the book of Joel, and um, in chapter two, where he talks about uh, the the army of God, and he talks, and then he uses which I, I took completely out of context because it's talking about an invasion of of um of um another nation and uh but then it says this it says multitudes in the valley of decision the and and the day of the lord is near in the valley of decision and i heard that to be a calling to evangelism to to um being being involved in in if you if you like mass evangelism but it became one of those things that I knew from then on, I needed to give up on, on veterinary studies and, and go and prepare myself for what we uh, kind of still erroneously call full-time ministry. But, but that's what I did. I, I, I stopped my vet studies 
I went, I approached the pastor and said, can you, can you train me? I want to do, I want to go into the ministry and started studying and doing a kind of uh, ministry internship in that church. And so again, uh, and, and that when I made the decision, once again, it was confirmed with a profound sense of peace of knowing this is the right thing to be doing. And, um, and so that started the, the process. And from there, that, it was in that church that the, what was called the Jesus People Revival or the, the Hippie Revival in the South African expression of it happened in Johannesburg. Um, and so we lived through... Uh, from then on, four years of, the, of that revival where we saw thousands of people coming to faith. And out of that, um, many other both churches and, and ministries became, were kind of launched out of that, um, out of that, the kind of hotbed of revival that was going on. Um, I was, I was, for example, in church the night that Ray McCauley came to faith. He was Mr. Universe, <laughs> and, and, he, and he walked to the front and, and received Christ in that church. Um, there, were, there were many others, uh, and um, Nelson Nurse, who later started the Invisible Church, um, uh, etc. So um, we lived through something that, once again, once... Once that has become your experience, it's almost like you're spoiled for anything less. Um, uh, I, I, I saw this thing, the power of the gospel, uh, signs and wonders, people getting healed, people you know, being, having miraculous things happening in their lives, uh, and, and this, massive, this massive kind of turning to Christ without, again, almost without effort. It was just... It was like as there were times we used to sometimes laugh about this, but it was literally like we used to say to one another, you could stand up in that in that church service and you could say, Baba, black sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. And everybody would come to faith. Um, you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter how profoundly you preached. It didn't matter that that there was, uh, you know, even what how good the whole setup and the environment and the music and any of those things were, uh, God was in the house and, and it was just so, it was just so um, spontaneous and powerful and real. Uh, and, and again, all of these guys that had been on, you know, heavy drug addicts, we saw delivered like without deliverance, but it was as they came to faith their lives changed. They never went back to their drugs. Some of them had been criminals. Uh, their, their lives were different. And many of them, uh, as I said, went, went on into ministry later on. So that was, that was the, the great experience for the next uh, uh, four years of my life. And then from there, um, I went, uh, I'd also met my wife in that church. We got married. We had our first child and then very stupidly, again, completely counterintuitive. But we then went uh, six weeks after our first baby had been born. We went and planted our first church. And, uh, yeah, so that just <laughs> you never enough on your hands. At and, um, no. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. How stupid was that? I mean, anyway, 
we we survived and we learned again through the 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 way god spoke to both of us uh, because i uh, i knew that the lord wanted us to do this but i wouldn't do it unless he spoke to lorraine as well and within in the same week we both heard the same word through the same text uh, and we weren't reading the bible together we were each doing our own individual kind of devotional spiritual journey um, and she came to me and said um, I think the Lord wants us to do this and she showed me the text that she had read and I opened my Bible and showed her the same text so it was it was quite remarkable and 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 wonderful because that's the kind of stuff that holds you um, in in times when it doesn't go as well as all that, you know? Um, so I always say to people calling for me, or when I, when I say calling a specific calling, when it comes to this thing about planting churches and doing ministry as, as the thing that you do with your whole life. Um, so I guess I'm saying, the, I'm saying full time ministry in another way. Um, but uh, the, the, the calling to do that has to be so clear because there will be many, many, many moments of buyer's remorse. There will be many, many moments when you will go, what the heck am I doing? Uh, you know, we often say more, uh, more resignation letters are written by pastors on Monday morning than probably any other, any other journaling or writing that they might ever do. Um, so, so we, we, lived, we lived by faith. We saw God provide for us miraculously. We saw healings happen when we, we still had very little um, either theology or, or, um, or uh, models or, ex, you know, kind of real ex, exposure to how to do it. Um, but, but again, uh, that, th those experiences all made the, the thing about a life within the context of the supernatural intervention of God in what we do as this thing called pastors or ministers, um, that, that it became, once again, uh, something that, that uh, an appetite, a, a, a hunger for that, um, uh, and and um, and a refusal to accept less. Um, so that that was the the experience, and so that happened for another eleven years. We were in a in another movement. Uh, we pastored three other churches after that, um, after planting that first one. Um, in eleven years with them. And then, uh, then we went off. Uh, they, they, then, in that year, I met uh, John Wimber in 1981. Met John Wimber, and we, um, and we, uh, um, and that became for me the rest of my life. The 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 fact that I heard, I heard about a church that is going to com be committed to this that. Christ is the head and the Holy Spirit is the administrator of the church and that we, we don't do anything unless we see him do it and that we expect it's like the, and the, the easy anticipation um, of, uh, of, 
of the church being in a place of being naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. Um, and that became, the, as I say, the rest of my life. So from then on, um, we planted the, the first vineyard church and I've been in that movement ever since. So, you know, one of the things that you, that you say that I find fascinating that I'd love to just dig into a little bit, because I think people hear it in a number of different ways. You, you've said a couple of times this idea of a refusal to settle for anything less, right? Um, around some of these experiences, these, these moments of connection with God, with people, with the self, etc. And I wonder if you'd just take us into it, that a little bit, because I think there, in some ways, there's a danger. People misread that as kind of this petulant child approach, right? Of, of you know, I demand you, God, to behave in certain ways. Or, and, and, and some of the critique around church systems is that it, um, there's a manipulation of people towards this, this end or this product that's produced, you know? And that's not what I hear you speaking about. And so I'd love it if you could just, just nuance that a little around. What do you mean about this refusal in your own words to accept anything less? Because I think specifically for the listener, it requires a bit of teasing out because it can be so easily misinterpreted. I'd, I'd love to get a little bit more of that from you. That's a very good question. I, I, I love the question and I, I agree with you that that question can, or that, that statement can be so misapplied in exactly that form of manipulation. So, so I, 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 would, I would maybe nuance it like this and say that in my heart, in me personally, um, what, it, what it has set up is, is um, it, it's a little bit like, uh, like the prophet Habakkuk says when he goes, uh, Lord, we have heard of your works. We have, we have seen your deeds. Um, uh, our fathers told us about them. We, you know, you did all of these things. And then he says, and now, Lord, in our day, revive them, O God. You know, and so his, his whole, his whole um, connection was from the past to the future. And he's the bridge in the middle. And he's saying, uh, renew your works in our day, uh, like it was in our father's day, and like you have promised to do, that the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the, there, there is that sense of we live in this in-between space uh, where, where our, our longing uh, becomes our faith, uh, where, where we don't you know, you can't, you can't, um, I, I think, once again, faith can become just an intellectual exercise. It can become just a, just a kind of agreement with concepts. Um, and, and, and for me, faith needs to be an, an appetite. Faith needs to be a, a, a desire that goes, God, I am desperate for you to be in the room. I'd, I'm desperate for you to be, to be motivating and empowering this thing um, so that we're not, just, we're not just a club. We're not just a gathering of uh, like-minded people. We're not just, um, you know, some kind of display cabinet of the perfect, but we are a bunch of broken people with 
this longing that unless the Lord helps us, there is no sa sa salvation, you know. Um, so, so that's what, that's how, that's how I, I, and, and then the past comes in like this, that I say, I have tasted this. I've seen this. I've seen not only my own life, I've seen so many lives. I've seen marriages uh, redeemed in a short space of time by a power that was not just some clever counseling, um, but it was, it was the intervention of God. I've seen uh, blind eyes open. I've seen people getting out of wheelchairs. I've seen uh, uh, remarkable things. And I say, God, I, I know that you can because I've seen you do it. And so please, in our day, renew your works. And so that's what I mean by a, a refusal to settle for less. It's a case of saying um, church is, is not church unless it is pregnant with the presence of God and with and, and, and that on, in, on our part, uh, we are kind of disappearing so that God, the works of God can be seen, so that he, he and his power is front and center, um, that, that there is um, a complete. I used to say when one of the churches that we planted, I used to say, I want our church to be structured in such a way that if God doesn't show up, it is the most boring place on earth. So that, so that everybody will just go, uh-uh, no. If God's not here, I don't want to be here because this is ridiculous. This is, this is boring. Um, I, I happen to think, uh, without naming any names, I, do, I happen to think that there are many churches that are exactly that. They are the most boring place on the earth. L L Lonnie Frisbee, who is a guy uh, uh, very also formative in the vineyards early early years um but lonnie came he he preached this a message for us once in in the park new vineyard that first vineyard um and he and he was saying um he was talking about this very thing and he said what do what is what is uh, the content or what is going on in in church these days in 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 some churches and i i think it might have been a little warning a prophetic warning for us and he reached into his back pocket and he pulled out a handful of feathers and he threw them up into the air and he said, dove feathers, dove feathers. And what he meant by that was the Holy Spirit used to be around, but all we've got left is a few of his tail feathers. Um, you know, and, and so we can look and we can say, wow, the Holy Spirit used to be here. Um, but, um, but in reality, there wasn't, there wasn't much left of not only his activity but of of honoring of him and of and of really releasing church to be um uh, uh, one thousand percent dependent on god in his person in his presence and, I love and in that, his power um, sorry, sorry uh, just quickly tim i love that way in which you um position that appetite idea because often i think when i engage with people there's this the, the, the languages around kind of, you know, your presence in the head, which is kind of some of what I taught, heard you sort of speaking to that kind of intellectual assent to ideas, etc. stuff, um, agreement around things, or it's located in heart. 
And for me, you took it a step further and said it's located in gut, in a way, if I think about appetite. And, uh, and it just reminds me of very that idea good, very of, good. of the Greek word of yes. compassion, yeah. you know, that idea of where the emotions are settled. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, just, uh, I, I thought that was, uh, yeah, that's a that's really right. helpful way around understanding that won't settle, is this, this yearning deep in the bowels, is what the Greek word talks about. Uh, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, oh, sorry, I Tim, that. I jumped in I there. Love that. I feel like there's, there's, there's two trajectories here that I'd, I'd love to, well, there's, there's several, but two of the ones that I'd love to deep dive here. I think the one's a good conversation to have here as we, as we build to something. And then there's one that I'd love to have um, just in future. So the future one I'd love to have is the difference between this, this as you put it, the persons, the presence and power of God during renewal and, and, uh, the cultivation of that. There's an interplay between what God brings to the table and what we bring to the table. Post-renewal, and we might be left with dove feathers, but we still often end up speaking as though God is still doing these things, except as opposed to people being healed from cancer, God has now given me the cancer <laughs> to teach me. And, and so that's, that, that's a conversation I really want to have, but I, but I don't want to have it now. I think it is tremendously important because there's something that goes into this. So I, I recognize that for a lot of deconstruction, there's the removal of the institutions of faith to reveal that God is not there. God has not been in that community. The community is not centered around meeting with God. So, so, so that's, this is something that's very dear to, to me, and it's, 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 it's a running theme on this as a podcast, even into the third season here, and, and will be in future, because, because this, this is the bit, this is the central bit that I feel doesn't define what doing church and being Christian means for many. Um, but, but yeah, you know, as I say, I, I want to, I want to shelve that a bit if that's, if that's okay. Yeah, um, that sounds good. But, but let's, let's go one step back because there's a massive leap between going, Oh, I see miraculous stuff all the time. What does it mean? Well, I mean it in the Christian science sense, God is changing hearts. God is changing attitudes. God is changing perspectives. These are all miracles because, you know, these things don't just happen. It's got to be God that does it. And in the same sense, we've got this language of, oh, love is God. So God is love. And so as long as people are loving their God is. In those, I don't feel like the sense of the, the relational, God being relationally present is being met for me. And even just taking a step back from that, there's a quick transition in your, your experience from you know, a, a, like a, like a budding faith to seeing some very real world stuff that people go, we don't believe that this stuff happens. And I'd like to dive into that a bit when you talk of, talk about healing. What I'd like to start with maybe is a, is an incident that I observed. I don't know if you'll recall it because I think it's just, it's, it's just one of the many that is probably just blurred into the background of your life and your experience. So I want, I, want, I want you to take me through this a little bit, if you recall it or if you recall something similar. So one of the classic things is the waiting on God, the invitation for God to come, the waiting, the sense that then God speaks to you about someone, or there's a word or there's someone there to be healed. So in this particular situation, I've seen a lot of people do this, and I've done this a lot a lot myself where you have the sense that God is saying something. So you share it in front of the group and you wait for a response and 
or, or you run away from the mic, <laughs> depending <laughs> on where your level of faith and experience is. And, and that's as far as it goes. But on this one day, I observed you stand in front of a, of a group of, of people and go, there is someone here, he has a medical condition you've, you've got. If I recall correctly, it might have been a knee problem, but I might not recall correctly. So, you know, I just want to caveat that. And, and you waited and there was no response. And then you basically went on to go, two weeks ago in your life, the following happened. <laughs> and then you waited. And then you went on to go, this morning you got up and the following happened. <laughs> There's a big level of difference in the confidence that I've seen you exhibit in a situation like that. I don't have a specific question yet, so I'm just throwing it out. I don't know if you recall that as an incident or anything similar yeah. to that. I'd, I'd like you to take me through some of that, 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 that process, uh, you know, for my benefits, and I hope that it benefits the listener too, <laughs> but that process of what it's like to, to stand there, because in some moments before you get to a session like that, God will have spoken to you and you've got something to work with and throw out. Sometimes you're in the moments. And then there's a sense of, of, of confidence. You, you're waiting for that more from God. There's, there's a lot going on there. That's a much richer dynamic than the normal simplistic presentation of ministry time. Session. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think, <laughs> yeah, you've, sum, you've summed it up well. I've, I've had many of those experiences, and some of them have been the most terrifying time of my, of my life because because there are those those ways where those those moments when it it starts like that with just a word and 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 let me go back for a, for a moment to the first time i ever experienced a spiritual gift and by spiritual gift i mean one of the charismata the 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 the, the little little kind of deposits of grace that just are allowed to be exhibited through the, the person um, by, the, by the Holy Spirit in a given moment. Um, and the first time I did, it was like I, I had these three words that, that kept almost like erupting out of my mouth without me, without me uh, thinking about them. Uh, that's the best way I have of describing it. And, and, uh, and, and it was like I, I had a prompt, a sense of being prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, speak, to say those words. And I said, well, give me the rest and I'll speak. And he said, no, you speak and I'll give you the rest. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I, you, I don't want to make an idiot of myself. Give me the rest first and I'll speak. Anyway, we had this argument for a while and eventually I spoke the three words and then other words just it was like priming a pump. And from there, the rest of what eventually was like a prophetic utterance in a, a prophetic word to a group of people um, happened. That was the first time it happened, for, it happened to me. And I learned something. I learned that for me, that for all of us, I think, um, spiritual gifts and, and, and the ministry in the area of what we call the supernatural is always this combination, this cooperation between us and the, and the Holy Spirit in the sense of um, he initiates and we have to respond 
to whatever it is that he initiates before he'll give the rest. It's like there's this, and, and, and of course, you know, that's backed up by when we read in Acts 2 verse 4 about the first time, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, and how it says, they began to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, but, but those, those are two verbs, speak and utterance, or speak and utter. Um, and, and both of those verbs are in what we call the middle voice of, of the Greek text. W what that means is that they spoke while speaking was being done to them. That, that, that's, that's, a, that's a weird voice of a verb, but that's, that's the way it is. And, and I've discovered that really, for the most part, spiritual gifts always de demand that kind of um, intersection and cooperation. That 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 the Lord will, the, the Holy Spirit will do it, but He can't do it without us. But we can't do it without Him. And so we go, you know, is this me or is this you? Is this me or is this you? And He says, it's both of us. <laughs> and you and you have to depend on me. Yeah. I, I, I like here yeah, that there's 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 an internal dialogue between you and God, which is not the gentlemanly you go first, no, you go first. It's the no, yes, no, no, yes, no. <laughs> no, I'm going to push you, like do this, like like and there's a degree to which that can become uncomfortable and God can start actually speaking in a very um disciplinary way. I, I've experienced that when resisting. But but there's something so vital to that. But there's 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 a free agency in you, your your personality, who you are as a person. You're not being overridden. You are not not conscious. So so I feel I feel like there's this um, um, this is not safe cussing company, <laughs> especially not after your early wine says story. So I'll use the 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 BS abbreviation where people go. It's it's all God. It's all God. I can do nothing. I'm useless. It's all God. God must erase my personality, my desires, my wants, my needs. And then when God is all, then oh my goodness, the stuff will flow. But that's never the case. There's not a single person that I know where it's where that's where, where that is the case. It's always an interplay. And, and and always always a sense of of okay this is this is this is beyond normal this is not something I, I I can do God is God is pushing me and I'm 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 either hesitant or resistant or a mixture or just damn scared or on a limb or or you know if this doesn't work I'm I'm going to be quite quite embarrassed you know so, so so there's a bit of there's a bit of that dynamic going on and and yet there is a transition there's there's a sense, so, so um, you know, this is not entirely staying in the story. So I, I've been in scenarios where people are trying to cast out demons and all they're doing is making noise. They're using all the, all, they're using the right magic book with the right magic words, right? They've got the scriptures, they're saying all day in the name of Jesus things. And I remember one where, where I walked in and, I, and, and um, there was another session that I was, I was responsible out. So I had to go in between these. And when I walked in, I, I recognized that I had no sense of the felt presence of God for me. So I, I, I could close the door and let them make noise <laughs> and just go back and tell everyone else, this is fine. And in myself, I'm thinking, this is so not fine. I'm, I, there, there's no one, I can't call a friend. <laughs> there's no one that's going to arrive. I, I'm responsible for this. And going back in, and the second time going, I also don't feel anything. And that sense of going, I, I don't experience the presence of God myself. There's something very clearly happening here. 
but in the absence of that, I'm just going to go back to, to what I feel is working. And when I came in later, there was the, I had a clear sense of God being present to me. And then, you know, the situation unfolded differently. So, so that's, that's a window that I have that I, that I bring back to this, that, that, that I'm hearing you basically um, say that this is not the speaking forth in faith with God's relational absence on the basis of going, I have this text, and so I need to speak in faith. And my faith is the substance of the complete absence of God, and it's going to make up, you know, and it's magically going to perform something. There's something very different here. And I think it goes back to what um, Steve highlighted earlier about your language for faith. Um, you know, I don't know if it's off track, but I, I just love some response or some inputs along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I, I used to, um, one of the, one of the thing the big uh, impacts of, of Karl Barth on me was uh, that he said in, 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 in most cases, um, churches are operating out of, um, uh, uh, again, a kind of, the, the way he described the manipulation of many liturgies is that he, he actually called it atheism. Atheism in action. He said, he said that um, it's like uh, God isn't there. And so we do all of these things to try to make God come to the place. And, um, and so he, he says the first half an hour of many church services is just atheism. It's like, it's like uh, worshiping into an empty space. And so uh, it's, it's the whole thing of the chicken and the egg, you know, which comes first here. And the and the the um, the answer is not the rooster. <laughs> Which, um, yeah. uh, the so the 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 thing the thing about it is we we need it, it's waiting for the presence um, before we say or do anything. But even then, when when the presence of God has has come and and, and is and is manifesting his presence in a certain way, in any particular way, there is always going to be what I call the God gap. There's always going to be the gap between what I understand and what God wants to do. Um, and so, I, uh, but, but, but he requires of me that moment of stepping out and letting him build a bridge under my foot rather than waiting for the bridge and then getting the engineer's report about how strong the bridge is before I put my, put my foot on it. Um, so there's that, and that for me, as you, as you describe in those moments of whether it's an, a, a word of knowledge, which was the, the thing that, that you, you were describing earlier in that particular service, whether it's a prophetic word, whether it's casting out a demon, whether it's um, um, laying hands on a sick person, in every one of those things, there is action required from us. But that action is completely uh, void. It, it's, it's like it's useless unless it's backed up by the presence of God. And, and so it starts with his presence. It then waits for my cooperation. And then he backs up my, the, co the cooperation that we offer with more, uh, not only his presence, but then his power, his, his actual intervention in the situation. Um, so so there, are, there are many of those, Tim, as you described that one. It, it, and, and in most cases, 
I have found that's why I described that thing of the first time I ever prophesied is because that's it 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 usually works like that for me. I I get little glimpses. I get little um, you know like most of the time when I have words of knowledge, I have uh, I have them visually. I see little little flashes, little pictures. Um, I don't see them in in in, in like uh, graphic detail like that guy on the Good Doctor, you know, where you where you're seeing these pictures and uh, in three dimensions and all of that with with uh, labels and everything attached. Um, but it's but it's just it's just like little flashes for me. There have been a couple of moments when it's been uh, like a, a phrase, like like a ticker tape, words going across in front of my eyes, but. Most of the time it's in pictorial form. But then I get that picture and, and unless I speak it, nothing more is going to happen. Um, so I've got to speak it. And very often as I'm speaking it, it becomes clear. It doesn't, it's not clear before I speak. But, and, and, and for me, that's one of the ways in which I know this is the Lord is because as as I speak, the, the clarity comes. Um, and then there, there, is those, there, there are those awful moments between not only the God gap, but then the people gap. Because then, because then uh, as you saw in that uh, service, nobody moves. Uh, in some cases, they don't move at all, ever. Um, and then sometimes after the service, someone will come and say, um, that's my mother you were talking about, you know, or whatever it was. Um, in, in one case, I, the first time God ever gave me a name of a person in the, in the room, and it was, a, it was a big conference. There were like 3,000 people in the house, and, and I get this, this name, and I say the name, and I said, is there someone by this name? And then uh, the, the name was Raymond. I'll, I'll mention that because it's unlikely that he'll be listening. Um, but but um, so Raymond and then I said uh, and then I had as I said the, the name the Lord told me what it was about so then I said without wanting to embarrass you these this is what I'm seeing uh, or hearing the Lord wants to fix in your in your life there are these th circumstances and this is what happened and this is it, it happened then uh, gave the time frame of when it happened, etc. Nobody moved. Nobody moved. And again, <laughs> I can't blame them for not moving because there were 3,000 people there. So, and then I said, okay, come and speak to me afterwards if, if, you, if you're here and, you, you know, if it's uh, too, too hard for you to come, to come now. Um, and nobody came. Nobody came afterwards either. And so I put that one down to, okay, you know, we see through a glass darkly. We prophesy in part. We, we make mistakes. We don't, get it, we don't get it right every time. I try to make that the lesson when, when nothing happens so that nobody, nobody is scared of trying. So, so, so part of what's interesting here is, is I've, I've, I've observed that under some circumstances, you can very clearly get a word for someone, a word of uh, a knowledge you can accurately describe. You can, the person can respond. You can stand on your head. Nothing happens. Someone else comes along. They barely hint at it. 
God falls over them, then there's a miraculous change. I feel like in some ways, how do I put this? I think we're just damn dysfunctionally schooled in ministry and these things. <laughs> and yeah. we're, we're not, and it's hard to put this on the table and go, the relational presence of God is definitive to be the community that gathers to meet with God. And yet we can't have conversations around this easily without being discounted or being put mm. away and that kind of stuff. So, so part of what we're doing here is, is we just, we just, you know, we're taking these gaps to have this, <laughs> to have these conversations. Yeah. So, so, so for me, I've, I've been in the situation. I, I remember even in my early days when, when I, when I first was exposed to the vineyard and, and, and Richard Maybury and, uh, <laughs> and I'd have a word of knowledge for someone and I wouldn't see God do anything with them. And Richard would come along, barely hints at, barely hints at anything along those lines. God's power would break out. The person would actually get healed or have a power encounter. So for me, there was there was there was a there was a learning experience. And then later on in life, I, I was in a different position where I was teaching people to do ministry. I was running a, a ministry venture, very missional. And, and people would have words and they had this expectation that they should be seeing those things, but I'd come along <laughs> with the barest hints of all this work that they'd put in and then God would do something dramatic. So in my, in my reflection, I've, I've gone back to the whole thing of, of through one is given the following, through another is given the following, and it's the same spirit at work in, in, all, in all things. And I think in some ways there's a, there's, there's the way that God schools us and grows us and matures us in these things. But this interplay, I feel changes. There's, there's the point that I hear you saying where, you, where God is pushing you and you're going, no, nah, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm backing up here. And then there's other moments where you arrive and you're going, okay, God, where are you? God, where are you? I'm looking for you. I'm pushing for you. I'm, I, I'm pulling. I'm pulling here. There, there's, there's a dynamic interplay. And so so I think we, we also often throw out this thing of, of God always leads, but I haven't experienced God to always lead. I've sometimes experienced God to go, well, I've expected you to become like me, so I'm following you in this. Yes, and that's a good point. And I feel that, um, yeah, unless I put this on the table, I, I don't think it would naturally come up because we schooled away from it. So, so yes. please, like, have, have at it. Throw some comments around there. <laughs> Yeah, and again, I think um, what you finished up there saying is it has. All, I've also experienced that moments like that when um, I remember there was this big um, dilemma that we had uh, in terms of a church, and it had to do with a facility and spending a lot of money and um, uh, and, and all of that. And and um, and. In a, in a moment, I was agonizing. I was praying. I was seeking counsel. I was a whole lot of things, and it, nothing seemed to come clearly. I was inviting the Lord to come and lead us and speak by prophetic words or whatever. And then he said these, these words to me. He said, you decide, and I'll back you. And I'm going, hey, that wasn't the deal. <laughs> that wasn't the deal. You're supposed to lead this thing. And he said, no, I trust, I trust you. you the, this is an area in which um, stewardship, as we read in Luke 16, stewardship is a growing thing. And sometimes God entrusts. Um, th th this is when a, a, um, a gift becomes a ministry. 
it's like when when a when a moment becomes a lifetime or a lifestyle um it it, it moves from um again i i teach this when i speak about spiritual gifts but um charismata on the, at the is at one level and then the next level is pr prasi prasis which is um uh, ministries um so so gifts become ministries and then there's a third level which is the mata which is where god gives the person as the as the gift um and that's that's a whole different different level it's and and like you were saying let, let's take richard as a good example there you you know that by that stage richard maybury had been honed and refined and and and, uh, and gifted and gone through many experiences of trial and error and failure and what have you to the point where by that time when richard maybury walked into a room you know that prophecy is going to happen yeah because that by that time it's the difference between um a, a, a person receiving a manifestation of prophetic utterance in a church and a person being a prophet and i say i say that with great fear and trembling because i i think way too many people uh think that they've had one prophecy and that makes them a prophet it doesn't uh, uh, nor, nor does the fact that you've preached one sermon and seen a few people come to faith make you an apostle <laughs> you know so 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 I, i'm terrified i'm terrified despite despite the best branding that people can have <laughs> and crocodile suits don't forget exactly, that exactly exactly so i'm terrified of label labels and titles and i and i uh, i say them with with fear and trepidation as i said and by the way i never use them as titles i always only use them as a job description so when i say this person is a prophet you put that as an afterthought you don't put it in the be you know before your name on the business card well, well when people when people introduce themselves to me in recent years i just took the substituting pharisee or sadducee whenever i refer to them after that <laughs> <laughs> it's a good test of character for them on one hand and it satisfies my need to have a bit of a dig and just go come on man <laughs> yeah right i i have i have stopped doing that because i don't want to make a habit just of offending people but <laughs> but especially yeah yeah i mean there's 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 a particular narrow vein of 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 churches that That have something there and I, i feel like like it is actually appropriate to call to call that out but yeah yes yes it is <laughs> it's we it's desperately needed actually that we that we make fun of 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 that because i think that's what god would do <laughs> anyway to go to return to the story i think i think there is there again there's always the need for the cooperation between the person and 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 the spirit but and and sometimes um it's like you can get so into the into the flow of it so to speak it's like it becomes part of your equipment you just you just take a prophetic word out of your right hand pocket or your a word of knowledge out of the left pocket or whatever and you and, and so it, it it becomes that and every so often the lord will then say no 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 you're getting too self dependent here and he'll give you he will allow you to fail uh why does he allow us to fail to keep us 
um, mindful of the fact that this is God's work and we, we never become the experts. We never become the, um, the, you know, ultimately the magic prophet. We never become that. Um, even though it, it, it can look like that, the fact is that we, we always need to be living in that God gap. We, you know, ministry has always got to be by faith. It always has to be the thing that we do because we're compelled to and not because we can say, you know, we, we, we say like God said to me that point, at that point, uh, you choose and I'll back you, I'll, I'll back, back you up. Uh, if I ever made that into my, into my ministry, you know, my style of doing ministry, God help me. That, that, would be, that would be disastrous. And, and I know that the Lord would pull the plug uh, on it if, if, if it becomes pride, arrogance, and self-dependence. Um, so we always have to be living in that, in that space. And that's why, again, periodically there will be those moments of, of deep embarrassment. Um, but by the way, to, cut, to return to the Raymond story, a year later, a year after that of that conference, it's nice that it's so linked, <laughs> closely linked together for you. I mean, that's a yeah. real faithful. <laughs> yeah. A guy, a guy walked into a guy walked into our church in Bryanston, and I think I was. It, it was early days of the church. I was busy um, putting out the chairs, and this guy came up to me and he said. Uh, uh, I'd like to introduce myself to you. So I said, oh, okay, hi. And he said, my name is Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, do you remember Raymond? And he described the moment. He described the, the conference, etc. And I said, yes, I do. He said, that's me. And I was there. And, da, 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 da. and I just wanted to thank you. And <laughs> so, because... Because he said, the fact that I called out all of that stuff uh, 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 brought him back to faith and made him know that God loved him and, 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 uh, and knew his circumstances and was, you know, caring about him. And I said, uh, I said well, first I'm going to punch you in the face and then we can talk about it um, because, because of the, uh, you know, on... In my case, it left me with egg on my face, but in his case, it left him with a renewed faith. So, <laughs> so very often, the price of all of this is failure. The price of the price of really, really being totally dependent on on the presence of God and His power being manifest is that we are going to look stupid. Um, and so. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, that, that, that's an important thing to carry into all of this. There is no plan B. There is no plan B if we want uh, church to be what, it, what I think God wants it to be, which is a place wh where the Holy Spirit is at home. I, I, I am 150% with you there. And I feel like, like for me, the language of, of, of deconstruction, deconstructing church is the recovery of this and and the honesty and the integrity to recognize when that's not that's not the yeah. case when when we haven't built what we call the church around that when you talk about that that transition from the gifts 
to the ministry to to the person i i haven't had opportunity to witness a similar transition in in your life uh, largely because <laughs> you know, i'm getting to know you more later in life than early whereas whereas i go to walk with richard a bit as the world's youth pastor under him and him wrestling with with a lot of things and my first window on him was was always someone that was very prophetic, you know, very confident, all of that kind of stuff. A lot of stuff happened that I that really just sold me going, this is what I believe. This is what I believe church ought to be. This is what I signed up for. And I haven't been experiencing this, and I've been through dozens of churches. And yet, even within that, I remember the first Father Heart of God conference that Richard ran. And um, it was a weekend thing. It was attended by people primarily from Metro Vineyard and perhaps one or, one or two others. And I remember the, the Friday sessions and the, and the Saturday sessions. And, you know, they, they, were, they were as Richard as I'd always known him. And on the Sunday, things were different. Richard was the same. God behaved different. God showed up in a clearer and stronger way. And it wasn't just because I, my eye was growing in terms of recognizing God coming there. So, so earlier there was a stage where Richard said, Tim, you can see God moving in a congregation. I told him he was daft. <laughs> and then, and then I, I preached and I saw it and I was like, oh, you know, he's right. <laughs> so, 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 so I'd been going through these things of, of, of growth, but I also then got to observe someone who is following his calling. And then, and then suddenly there, there's no announcement that God's going to, suddenly change gears or anything like that but there was just there was just a remarkable shift you know friday yes. saturday the same sunday different and it was different from from then on in thinking back in 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 your life and experience along these lines did, did you experience similar a similar kind of thing at any points uh, from within are there any have you observed that in others you mean in, in terms of the church or in terms of my own perceptions of what God was doing I guess in terms of in terms of um seeing how God changes and what God brings to the table um in relation to someone whether it's their ministry or within the context of the church or even within the context of your your own life and your own experience and growth in ministry yes um and and again it, it's always I don't I don't have the answers I it's always remained mysterious and I, I guess for that I'm also great very grateful that we can we cannot we cannot box this thing you know it's not something that we and again that's probably uh, like I said earlier about uh, just a moment of of seeming failure which is just a great reminder that we see through a glass darkly the 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 um but that ultimately when when church goes through i think what we call renewal and and um i suppose ordinary church times of renewal and 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 times of ordinary church are really just the the, the ebbs and flows of our levels of uh, again hunger desperation um desire for god to be front and center um, uh, because I think that what we always need to know is that church is two things church is the place for the habitation of the spirit and church is also the means to an end it's the means to mission it's the means to um, you know equipping people so that they can go and change the world and and so our 
are, um, but, but too often, uh, and it's largely because of all of the stuff that you and I have talked about before, Tim, of consumerism and competition and, um, and, and arrogance, pride, sinful hearts in, in, uh, in, in, in the lives of in, in leaders. Uh, so because of all of those factors, um, there, there will be moments when the church becomes an end in itself. And, and then, you know, then we become desperate in times of, uh, times of COVID um, because now we can't keep the, we can't keep the empire going because we can't get the people to come to church because the government says we can't and therefore we must protest because the government is stopping us from earning a living and i go dear lord how far have we fallen from what this thing was supposed to be you know um anyway but uh, the, 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 i think that's why i'm grateful for covid at, at one level because i think it has just become again a reminder of on the church's behalf i'm grateful because I think it's become a reminder of what we were called to do in the first place. Um, and, and uh, you know, let's get back to that. But times of, times of dullness in the church, I think, are similar. They, they, they should get our attention to do the same thing. They should, by, by virtue of the fact that we, that we um, are, are not seeing uh, the, the supernatural, uh, you've probably heard me in various uh, uh, conferences or things uh, with pastors, particularly saying this, that I, I believe that what we call revival is supposed to be normative. It's supposed to be normal Christian life uh, or normal church life. It's, that's what it's supposed to look like, where, where everyone gets to play, where there is the, where the presence of God comes, where we are surprised by stuff where we are not going, oh, it's that again, you know. Uh, this is the time in the service when someone should speak in tongues or someone, or, <laughs> you know, uh, the, you know the, that, that we, we, we manipulate God because we say, I mean, I hear people say these things, I want to scream. They say our worship is uh, to invite the presence of God so that we can, uh, to prepare us for the word. I go, I've heard people pray that after um, the worship sets and that in churches over and over again. It's crazy. Yeah. Drives me mad. Drives me absolutely screaming crazy. Uh, anyway, the, 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 the point of it is that uh, is to say, as, as you were saying, yes, I have seen over and over again those, those moments happening. And again, the first question that we need to ask is, is the one John Wimber always <laughs> used to warn people, don't pray this prayer uh, if you're not ready to, to become deeply injured by the Holy Spirit. And that is, God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And by wrong, he doesn't mean there's some, I'm sick. What he means is I'm doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing or I'm not doing stuff that I should be doing. Um, and, and of course, for John, there came that wonderful moment when the, the, the Lord answered that prayer with, the, um, with this great thing. John, I've seen your ministry. Now let me show you mine. 
And, and for me, that should be a daily, daily prayer of every leader. And that should be a, 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 an every Sunday or in every time we gather prayer for any leader in any church. Uh, Lord, I don't want to see my ministry here. I want to see yours. Um, please let my, let, you know, put me on the spot. Put me in a place where unless you build this house, we labor in vain. Make it, make that so real for us uh, that we, that we really can, can encounter where people, if they, if nothing else happens in the service, that they go out of here saying we encountered God. And, and you know, again, for way too many churches, it's exactly the opposite. It's the one thing that people can't say is that they encountered God. They can say, wow, great, great worship. Or they could say great um, preaching. Or they could say, well, isn't the, isn't the welcoming group uh, nice and friendly in that church? Or, you know, in, in some cases, I remember having these long conversations on, on a Facebook group that I left in, in protest uh, where they were talking about the quality of the coffee, you know, the best coffee. And I think it was Reinhard Bonker who said, um, when, when, when churches are talking about the quality, you know, uh, which church serves the best coffee, then we know the Holy Spirit has left the building. Uh, because again, all of those things are fine, but they are always supposed to be around the sense of the presence of God, which is the main point, God encountering God's presence. And so uh, for me, yes, I have seen, I've been through many of those seasons when I've agonized. I've, I've wept tears about that. And there are many times that I haven't had the answers uh, except to just stay in a place of, of utter dependence until, again, whatever it was that was wrong with me was fixed or whatever was wrong with us was fixed so that we could once again, um, uh, be back in that place where, where the Lord was pleased to dwell, you know? You know, Costa, as, you, as you're speaking there, I feel like there's, there, there's so many follow-ons here related to renewal, um, the relational presence of God, and that being distinct, that, that, that people can walk away saying they, they encountered God. When I did the Doing Church research project that I did a, a few years ago, and I'm I, I had church leaders basically say to me, we don't do this here because we don't want to scare people away. And there was a church that I, I walked in, the worship was fantastic. I, I, I looked a row ahead. I saw God wanted to say something to someone. She, she was standing next to her parents. I, I got to prophesy. We all had an emotional encounter with God. They're like, you got to meet our pastor. <laughs> I meet the pastor. Pastor's like, we don't do this here. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I've, been, I've been in other churches where, where I say, uh, and other gatherings and it's amongst peers who studied with me people that have been in ministry for years and i go i, I want i think the main reason we should get together if we do if we do get together in groups this thing of waiting on god encountering god must be the main activity so yes let's get together and have a meal there can be teaching interaction all of that is valuable the human to human relational stuff i'm 100 on board 
but let's make this the, the goal. And the response back is always going, we can't rely on that. We can't trust that. We have no idea what we're doing. How's it going to be safe? Sam, how do you know you're hearing from God <laughs> as opposed to some other yeah. demon? You, yeah. you, you yeah. know, yeah. 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 That, that's the usual response. This, this, this is such an untapped and such an unexplored thing that people start with doing church and they end with doing church. And doing church is about doing church. It's not about relationally engaging God. I feel like like when I'm with you and people like you, I'm in good company, but I'm so vastly aware that if I tell 20 different people in 20 different parts of the country to go to church, this is not what they're going to get out of going to church. Yeah. And, and the language of the exception, the person who's got the exception in the ministry within the movements, the, the language of, of our church is doing well, our movement is doing well, it's not yet normative enough. I also have have a sense, uh, and this is something I really want to wrestle with you in a deep dive as well, is around the thing of the power encounters, the introduction to lead us into intimacy with God. But post-renewal, we haven't pursued intimacy with God, is, is largely where I feel like we've landed. Um, and so there's a lot, there's a lot to untap there. And and I often feel like I'm um <laughs> you know the language of the lone crazy person you don't know if they're probably <laughs> they're just crazy <laughs> and they, they're yeah, also yeah, left yeah. not knowing <laughs> i yes. often feel like i'm i mean that's so, so that's one of the reasons why steve is such a great girl with me because you're not crazy <laughs> if you're alone together right <laughs> <Yeah>. really <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i'm, I'm teasing i'm teasing <laughs> but 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 it is a highlight for me my first encounter of walking into a vineyard church was 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 from that foundation of being so deeply frustrated with going to church going i can't do this god why on earth are you calling me to this seeing a banner to a church and having the spirit say go there on sunday and me going okay i'll do that walking in and encountering people who worship like they actually loved god <laughs> which was a surprise <laughs> uh someone that preached that had a brain <laughs> Uh, and wasn't just wasn't just moralizing, wasn't just going. Jesus was so good, we suck. Let's try better, you know, and be more, you know, th that that kind of thing. But then did the whole thing of going. Let's clear the chairs, invite God to come and see what God wants to do. And we're going. This is what I. This is what I believe in. This is what I signed up for. Yes. Yes. And and, and the deep and profound wrestle that I have with 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 people that I talk to over and over and over, who's struggling to make church successful. And I'm going. We don't make church successful by trying to make church successful and i want to mm -hmm. do the opposite i want to go let's let's throw all of that out and make the relational presence of god the key let's start with our value for intimacy with god and let's not even start with trying to build a successful group let's start individually um and so so also that that is something i'd love to have a deep dive with you about because because there's this window that I have with, with, with Metro and with yourself and a few others where these two can go really well together. But because they can go really well together, we don't have to have God present. We just have to do this single church well. You know, yeah. I, I remember being hor horrified <laughs> when, a, when a particular brand of church set up shop in, in South Africa and, uh, and I was dragged along by some people kicking and screaming. And, and they, they were so adamant that their calling is to give us the best experience of church. <laughs> you know, that's what Christ is about, yeah. to give you the best experience of church, which means it's got to be from you walking in and being ushered to your seat to getting your coffee after. This is to be the best 
church service experience you've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That sums it up. That is church as theater or church as consumerism. Um, and, 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 and for me, uh, again, as you said earlier about other things, um, none of that is wrong in and, in and of itself. But if that's our stated purpose for doing what we do, we have missed it completely. So we, got to, we, we need to get back to the Bible. You know, the Bible says all of these things so clearly and strongly every, in, in almost every book of the Bible, maybe every second page, um, it says all of this. God says, I want to dwell among my people. I want to be, I, I will be their God and they will be my people. I, you know, um, I will dwell among them and I will um, change their hearts and I will, it's, and you know, so all of this stuff is, it's front and center in scripture. And, 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 but unfortunately, we all read scripture through the lenses of things like um, success, uh, status, um, uh, money, money and power. And, and then the, 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 the sex is hidden away a little bit. But, you know, for the, for the, for the rest, the, the motivations um, for doing church, starting churches and doing church, as you say, um, are, are just that little, that little bit off that makes, that makes it um, either, either succeed or sometimes fail, uh, whether the presence of God is there or not. And, and for me, that, it, it, that becomes an oxymoron. That is no longer church. That is no longer church. Uh, because again, Jesus defines church like this where two or three are gathered together under my name. I am there. That's how he defines church. That's what he did. That his, his, little, his little motley crew that he gathered around him and said he chose 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them to preach and to cast out demons. Um, that was church for him. That, he, he was modeling church. Um, it's me standing in your midst when they when they spoke about the kingdom and they said with what signs will the kingdom be accompanied and he said guys why are you asking about the signs and the wonders when actually the kingdom is in your midst and by the kingdom he meant himself he was going yeah just look at me if you uh, you know stop stop speculating stop making it into a theology stop making it into a, a bunch of nice sounding philosophical statements and just get to grips with me that, that's all there is that's all that's all you've got one of the analogies that we've used um uh, on this podcast and I, I refer to quite often is the idea of getting together a whole bunch of people going to a restaurant to to meet with someone to celebrate someone so someone's birthday or an event and there, there is a remarkable difference between, between you might arrive ahead of that honored guest arriving, um, you might arrive after they'd already arrived, you know, however it plays out. But there's a big difference between arriving and meeting about the person when they don't arrive mm. and arriving and meeting with the person because they either arrive after you arrive or they've arrived before. There's, there's something to, 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 to that there's a big difference between the two, but I feel like even that, that text that you that you've used, 
people use to basically go, well, the two or three of us have gathered. And by that, you know, it's usually the hundred mm, or the yeah, thousand yeah. or the 50 or the 20. And because of that, Christ was here. We didn't, we, we can't say he showed up and spoke to us, but that's because God speaks in all these roundabout ways. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and I feel like this, this, there's a difference. I, and it's partly just because having heard God, I'm not satisfied for God to speak to me in a roundabout way. If it's confusing and I've got to figure it out, <laughs> then there's no difference between you speaking to me, God, or not, right? In a, in a sense, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. but there's a difference between being hungry for you and meeting you and being, and your silence and your absence. And there's a difference in the silence and absence of the God that I'm hungry for, where, where that, where the silence and absence is defined by the presence and activity of God, as opposed to God never having been present. Mm, mm. And, and this, this is difficult language to have when we're surrounded by all these churches and all these churches and people that are deconstructing from them are often people deconstructing from being in church on faith without experiencing God's relational presence in that context. And so yes. their subtraction of this is the uncovering yes. that their faith is just the emperor's new clothes. And that's, that's, I think that's a vital thing we've got to recognize. And I hear people so often over and over going, no, 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 Tim, you can't be saying that. But, but to call a spade a spade, that's often what is the case. When, when people's follow-up experiences are the not God things, and then they're rebuilding their theology and the understanding their spirituality around that, good for them. It's good mm. that they abandoned Christianity if that's what's on sale. I'm 100% for it. And in fact, I think God is the instigator behind it. But mm. but again, I don't think we necessarily realize how big this movement is. And when I engage some church leaders, they keep going to me, oh, Tim, that's in your opinion. <laughs> and I feel like it's not. I feel like this is this is what I've seen from God, you know, from God's presence and God being absent, you know. Yeah. Well, again, I think that that, that, that is um, pr precisely the point. I think that we have, there are probably several categories of people um, who have all been, uh, yeah, they've all been sold short. Um, I think that the, the, the ones you're talking about, which uh, I suppose in biblical terminology we could call the, the prodigals, um, then, then, there are the, then there are the ones who, like I was before my, my moment of conversion, there are those who are, who may even attend church, whether they're the three time a year, you know, those kind of attendees, or whether they're the people who even go more often than that. Um, but once again, uh, church for them has become empty ritual, or, or it's become Maybe there's some meaning to it in, in them, but it is not the same thing as encountering God for yourself. Uh, and then there are, there are those who are kind of um, uh, uh, very committed to the church and to the church's success, uh, whether, the, whether God is in it or not. Um, so, and all three of those, whoops. All three of those have been sold short. All three categories have been sold short um, because God is not interested or not, not interested. God is not um, satisfied with, the, um, with all of that, uh, the, the, the representation of what he is all about. God is not satisfied that that becomes, that, that, 
people end up with that as if you were to ask them, so how did church go for you, you know, at the end of their life or at the end of a season in their life? How did church go for you? And they were to describe it in either one of those three um, ways. Um, it would be a tragedy. It would be a tragedy for, the, for, for God. It would bring tears to God's eyes that that's the, the sum total of what people um, think of when they think church. Um, uh, so, and, and again, maybe there's a fourth category, which is the people who uh, even attend. And like you were saying, who, who, would, who would experience great things, great um, coffee, great greeting, great sermon, great music, great, all of those things. And that in a sense, there would be, uh, um, uh, I, I'm sure that I, I'm, I'm sure that God is, is, is present in those places, but there's a difference between God being present and God being manifestly present. Um, and that, and that for me, once again, brings us back to what are we, what are we longing for? What are we hungry for? What, what do we have appetite for? Because I'm absolutely sure that God is, he's, he's more willing to meet our appetite than we are to express it. But that's a good phrase, Costa, if I can kind of jump in there. I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think it is in, in us as, as we gather as human beings in these sort of systematized ways in these churches where, you know, to use Tim's language, we, we host these birthday parties without the guest of honor. Have you got any idea? Do you, can you put your finger on, on thoughts around why is it that the church, which is like a big broad term, but why does it keep these kinds of gatherings going? these without the presence of God gatherings and any ideas like what does one do with that? What is the, the antidote, the answer, the alternate path to that? Yeah. You know, I think uh, Steve, I think that there are, there are probably as many answers as there are churches uh, answers to that question as there are churches. And, and, you know, some of it is, some of it is very well intentioned because again, let's, let's take, Let's take um, all of the terms of the kingdom. You know, we can, we can say, when we say the kingdom of God, wh what do we mean? We mean the, when God's rule is, is um, f fulfilled, you know, when God co consummates the thing that he always intended, which is that God would rule, God would be king. And, when, and the trickle down from that is this thing that the Hebrew uh, prophets called shalom. And shalom meant things like the, the poor will be fed. Uh, everyone will dwell in peaceful homes. Your, your relationships will be healed. Your, your, um, your, uh, your cattle and your sheep and your donkeys and your budgies will all be very fertile and produce many offspring. And uh, they will, your crops will be fantastic and all of this. And there will be... There will be harmony. People will beat their spears into plowshares. There will be, um, there will be um, uh, healing of, uh, of diseases, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, if we were to say, what is, the, what is the purpose of the church? Go and, and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
all of those things are included. But so many, I mean, I, I think that we've done this uh, on, on occasion, we can make one of those our reason for being. Uh, we can become we can become welfare churches. We can become education-driven churches. We can be churches for, you know, uh, healing marriages and relationships. And we can, you know, so, so different churches become famous for the different aspects. And again, all of it is kingdom work. But that's not the same thing as, as when we say the church gathers around the manifest presence of God. Um, I think those things are the things that we're supposed to be doing when we're scattered. What we're supposed to be doing when we're gathered is um, is in, enjoying what's the Westminster Catechism to love God and to enjoy Him forever. Um, you know, that's that's our purpose. Yeah, I really, I, I I really like that, and I'm I feel like I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing people recapturing this the sense that in their one-on-one -on -one relationship there is a deep maturing relationship that progresses up the trust ladder and, and to the and 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 down to the to the intimate depths you know and that's that that i can't help but feel that for me re renewal is the precursor to that and if we don't yes. go on to that we don't yes. come back to renewal it goes yes. on to another generation. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, I, I really want to deep, deep dive that, a, that a bit, but I'm, but I am aware that, that we've taken <laughs> close on two hours of your time. Wow. It really time does. Flies when you're having fun, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Very. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you know, to, to not overkill this as a conversation, but rather to, to hold you as, as fresh for a future, for future conversation. Yes. Lovely. Because, lovely. because I'd lovely. like there to be many. Um, yeah. Good. So you've, you've, um, you've uh, made notes of, of the things that we want to deep dive into because mm. um, I, I would love to do that, um, as you say, in future conversations. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I just, you, you know, um, May you be blessed with many years. <laughs> Thank you. But, Thank but, you. But I am aware that uh, being at retirement, I've got to capitalize on, on you being around <laughs> as much as I can. Uh, yes. So there's yes. a tension yes. between the two. <laughs> After this one, I can still remember what to say. <laughs> I'm really struck by how personally and naturally you speak. The, there's a lot of church leaders that I think have, um, you know, less than a tenth or a quarter of the portfolio I think you've had and I feel like I'm I'm speaking to a CEO <laughs> that is begrudging me the time <laughs> and this the sense of of a welcome conversation and uh like a really good uh warm yeah. vulnerable connection from from your side is 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 really good I just you know I, I don't really have a good way of expressing that but I want to say thank you thank you good thank you Costa that's been fun guys I've enjoyed uh, meeting you, Steve, and I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, and your your great and insightful questions. That is that is kind of dug into um, you know opening up a little more of the things that I feel very deeply and and love speaking about because they are all us recalling together the mercies of God. It's it's wonderful. So thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm really struck by your presence. 
um, and, and sense of, of self and who you are. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And as Tim said, speaking so so lucidly, so erudite, but so personally, so vulnerably around your life and experience. Um, so I'm looking forward to many more conversations. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.